Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Robin and Helene Jorgensen. 
and uh, have now been studying the Rancho book uh, approximately 35 years. It doesn't seem possible, but it has been that long. Um, it has been an expansive, breathtaking experience to explore this awesome, wonderful, and truly loving book. The word Urantia, spelled U-R-A-N-T-I-A, means our planet Earth. I'm currently on the outreach chair of the Urantia Society of Greater New York, made up of Urantia book readers from New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, and I've been the past president. Uh, I now host a Urantia book study group here in Manhattan uh, in the West Village, sponsored by the Urantia Society of Greater New York, and that meets the first and third Sundays of each month throughout the year from 1 to 2 o'clock at the LGBTQ Center located at 208 West 13th Street, right here in Manhattan. Uh, The Urantia book study group is free of charge and open to all. Uh, We read and stop to discuss the Urantia book as we go through it, and I would venture to say that all those who attend whether brand new readers or uh, readers who've been with the Urantia book for a very long time uh, found a very, find it a very rewarding experience on, on many, many levels. Again, everyone is welcome to join us. Uh, please let me know if you'd like to attend, and I'd be happy to provide you with more details. Uh, I'm going to give you my email address, N-I-C-K-N-Y-N-Y-1, that's the figure one, at gmail.com the rancher book is now translated into 22 languages and more to come and it's sold in better bookstores everywhere worldwide and um, you may also read it uh, and explore it on the internet and I want to give you two websites I would very much like you to look at Uh, the first one is u-r-a-n-t-i-a-b-o-o-k dot o-r-g and the other website is simply U-R-A-N-T-I-A dot N-Y-C. Both of those websites are tremendous and have a lot of information on the book. You can read the book. You can also listen to it, uh, which is a, a wonderful way uh, to explore it. So do check those, those out. Okay, let's get right to it. Tonight, my featured guest on the program is a very dear friend and a long-time reader of the Rancher book, as well as one of the hardest workers to bring the Rancher book to the world, Avi Dogim from Cliffside Park, New Jersey. Avi, a very, very warm welcome to you, sir. Thank you very much, Nick. Nice to be here. Um, I've been uh, looking uh, for uh, you being on the program for all week here, and uh, I'd like to briefly tell the listeners a little bit about your, your background to start it right off. Um, he's uh, obviously been a Urantia book reader for over 40 years. He's participated in the Urantia book study groups on uh, many of those years. Uh, he's a founding member of the Urantia Society of Greater New York, uh, currently serving as the uh, general counsel of the fellowship, a former president of the fellowship, and a former member of the fellowship executive committee. That is a lot. You, Avi, you've been busy. Yeah. I try. <laughs> uh, so thank you very much again for bringing on the program. It's great to have you with us. And I would like to start off uh, the interview right now, right from the very beginning. So um, for some of our listeners, uh, 
also may, re- may remember that uh, Alila Dogim, your wife, and mm-hmm. partner in crime, may I add, uh, mm-hmm. was recently on the program. It was a terrific interview. Really enjoyed that. So, Avi, uh, may I first ask you, where were you born and raised? Well, I was born in uh, Tel Aviv, Israel, um, and um, spent my, uh, my youth there, came uh, to the United States as a teenager Oh. And uh, with, with my parents, yeah, and uh, settled in Brooklyn, New York. Well, did you have brothers and sisters also? Yeah, I do. I, I, I have a brother who lives in Israel. And uh, I have some uh, family there, uh, nieces and nephews. And so the whole family then made the made the trip. Uh, to, to, well, uh, I, you know, it was it was, uh, it was me and my parents basically. Uh, oh, okay. My brother is a lot older, and he uh, he stayed put. And uh, but I see him quite a bit. Right. Okay. And. Um, uh, just a little bit about your mom and dad. Were, were they spiritual at all? And tell me a little bit about that. Uh, well, uh, you know, spiritual is uh, is hard to uh, to measure. That um, they were not religious uh, uh, overtly, uh, for sure. They uh, they were pretty much secular. Um, um, they were not very observant of uh, of. Uh, uh, they didn't go to synagogue or anything like that, so I was basically raised in a secular household. But uh, but um, but I can say that they were not spiritual at all. You know, um, mm-hmm. uh, I think that they 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 certainly had spirit in them uh, okay, in some measure. Yeah, but uh, but they were not. They did not practice a religion. Okay, okay. Just 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 curious about that. And also, uh, now you're in uh, the United States, and did you, uh, you immediately settle into New Jersey in that area with your family? Well, yeah. Uh, my, my, Lila and I uh, raised our daughters in Brooklyn, actually. And, okay. Uh, and uh, when our daughters were grown and out of the house, and uh, uh, my in-laws, who had uh, lived in the same house with us for many years, uh, had gone, um, to the mansion worlds, if you will, um, uh, we we decided to make a move to a different situation, and uh, we hopped across the Hudson, and uh, that was about 25, uh, 25, my goodness, it's about 25 years ago. Um, Isn't so that we lived wild 30 how, years in Brooklyn, and now, now we've lived 25 years in, in Jersey. Ah, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, you know, it always is amazing to me how time truly flies. As I, I say, some of the the um, the, the years that, uh, as you know, uh, during my uh, the, the beginning of my uh, the program, and it's hard to believe it's been that long. Uh, I guess that happens to everybody as you grow a little bit older. That you think, has it really been thirty-five years since I've been reading the book? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people feel that, right? <laughs> It's just the flash in the pan. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess you're right. Wow. Uh, it's, it's really true, though. You just, it just after a while that uh, the the numbers seem to be amazing. And was it really that long? I, I find that going on a lot mm-hmm. uh, in my life. You know, when I'm, when I'm talking about people and uh, talking about when things happened and. Boy, the the 70s, for instance, and that seems like uh, yesterday to me, and it's been quite a long time. So, 
Yeah, it's true. And, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also, just just briefly about your schooling uh, and where you studied. Well, I, uh, I I graduated from Erasmus Hall High School in Brooklyn, went to Brooklyn College, and then to uh, Columbia for a master's. So uh, uh-huh. pretty much, uh, pretty much, um, you know, the the, uh, the metropolitan area uh, is where I got right. schooling. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, in addition to the streets of the streets of Brooklyn, of course, that was another of education. Course. And I gotta ask you, coming coming from a different country and coming here, I just gotta ask you because that's kind of interesting to me. What, if you can remember, what what kinds of things really um, amaze you, made you think, "Wow, this is so different here." Were there any particular things that you can remember that uh, kind of you know, impacted upon you as you came to a very different country? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a it's a it's a it's a huge change. I mean, especially uh, I was in my teens when I came here, and uh, um, I, I did not immediately take to it as a as fish to water, if you will. But uh, you know, it, it was a period of adjustment, um, and uh, you know, in time, made friends, and and uh, I do uh, appreciate being here. I think it's a uh, you know, this is a uh, this country happened happened to be a unique. Uh, kind of uh, uh, country in the world. I mean, uh, it's uh, it's a country based on ideas, not on uh, particular ethnicity, as most countries are. And, That's true. Uh, and uh, it's uh, you know, um, uh, so uh, ideas and ideals. You know, they're not always they don't always seem to be practiced the way we think they should be. But it's mm-hmm. an evolutionary process. I think we uh, we are on the right curve. Uh, even though we do uh, have uh, hiccups every now and then, as we do these <laughs> days. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be more right on that. That's for, that's for sure. Sometimes it seems like a roller coaster ride. It really does. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, uh, I think my grandparents came here, but they they had uh, friends and or relatives, and so that's why they headed for Massachusetts uh, when they came over the, on the boat and landed here in New York City. Did did you or your parents have any relatives or friends already here? Yeah, 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 yeah. My mother had a, a sister here. Uh, my my father had some cousins, so we we did, and you know, so that and uh, it was kind of helpful to uh, to meet with them and to uh, actually we stayed for a couple of weeks with my my uh, my mother's sister, and you know, and before we, uh, you know, it took a, a couple of months before we got situated uh, in our own place and. Uh, and uh, it was all from there. And my and my father was very industrious and uh, got a job. And uh, you know, then later opened up his own business. So um, it was a good uh, a good adjustment. Did you work with your dad in that new business? And what kind of business was it, may I ask? Well, I did actually. I mean, he uh, he was a dental technician, and he opened his own dental lab. And uh, and oh. uh, I used I, I I actually uh, yeah worked part time for him. Um, in the laboratory and also making deliveries for him to dentists. So that, that was a that was a nice experience. Yeah, and also probably an education also on so many yeah, other sure. levels. Excellent. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, now we're going to go from that, uh, if you will, to how and where did you find something called the Arrangia Book? How did that happen? Well, uh, yeah, this was around 1974. Uh, 
had a conversation with a good friend of mine who also happened to be uh, Lila's cousin, my wife's cousin. Wow. Um, and um, we were talking about, uh, we were taking some talks uh, and, uh, and discussing various uh, ethereal subjects, um, including, uh, well, uh, reincarnation and such. And, mm-hmm. uh, and my, uh, my friend uh, Mark said, uh, uh, well, you know, I don't really, that's not really consistent with my, uh, my religion. I said, what, what religion? What, what are you talking about? Uh, you are, I think you are uh, an atheist or an agnostic like me, I said. He <laughs> said, no, no, not really. And uh, he told us about the book he was reading. I knew he was reading something, but I, I didn't really want to go there for a while. Uh, so uh, that's how it got started. He, uh, he said, "All right, well, let's let's take a look at it. Uh, what are you talking about?" And uh, he brought over the book, and we uh, started looking at it. And uh, and before long, we decided that we were going to get our own copy and uh, and start reading it. But it's not like I was taken to it immediately. I, I we both Lila and I were very curious about it. Uh, mm-hmm. It seemed it was a, a we. we we thought from the, from the outset that it was a, a fascinating book. I just uh, started reading the, the, the forward, and it, it was just incredible stuff. Now, not that we understood everything immediately, because it's quite it can get a little complex. Uh, oh boy, but, that's uh, an understatement. Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. understatement. Yeah. yeah, and you don't you don't always know what they're talking about exactly. But but uh, although the language is pretty clear, uh, but the concepts are difficult to uh, to convey. Because, uh, well, the book, as you know, Nick, the book basically is a, uh, is a, well, it, it, it purports to be a revelation, which I believe it is. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't believe it immediately when I started reading it. It took a while. Um, of course. And, uh, yeah, well, you know, I, I was trying, we, both Lila and I were uh, skeptics. Uh, and uh, we were trying to figure out, uh, you know, what's in it for whom, and um, who, who is doing this, and uh, are they making money off of it? Well, we kind of didn't think that anybody could make money out of this book. Um, and, uh, and then we developed the theory that it may be uh, some kind of a, uh, a benign hoax perpetrated by a, uh, a, um, a, a sizable group of uh, intellectuals, philosophers, scientists, and, uh, and, and religionists, uh, mm-hmm. who are trying to perpetrate a benign hoax on the human race in an effort to uplift it. So uh, that was an easier thing for me to to imagine than actually conceding that it actually could be a, 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 um, um, a revelation, because mm-hmm. uh, it's, not, it's not in my DNA <coughs> to, uh, you might say, that to, uh, to accept the notion that any... Uh, superhuman can uh, actually deliver a revelation to a human being. That was not something that I could readily accept. But, I, I think uh, that I was going through very similar things that what you are describing right now. I think all of those points that you just mentioned were also uh, flowing through me also. And just the mm-hmm. size of the book, that 2,000 pages, it almost looked like a law book to me because it was a very plain blue cover. And it was mm. substantial. I went, holy cow, you know, what in the world is in that book? It's so huge. And uh, like you just said, I just started reading 
uh, the beginning of it, and I also started looking around at chapters, and boy, did it, it pull me in. I, it was like, a, yeah. a, I used the word potato chips, because once you started that, you just simply say, okay, now what else are they saying? And you go on and on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it, uh, the, the book does have its, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it has uh, internal validity, uh, it 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 sort of it, it it makes a lot of sense in in, in I mean it's it's it all it's all fairly logical and rational although there are some there are some parts there that seem outlandish you know of course uh, but uh, but uh, but basically it, uh, the book reconciles um, evolution and creation you know it's not there's no contradiction between creation and evolution. Um, uh, you, you might say there was a, there was actually a, an article written by uh, uh, some uh, some professors in uh, I forget which college it was but uh, uh, the the title of the article was in the beginning God created evolution um, and uh, we also we, we made a little bumper sticker out of that one we stole <laughs> that quote uh, but uh, you know it's uh, uh, and it it basically reconciles science religion philosophy. In a, in, an, in a very elegant manner that uh, I have never seen anywhere before. Uh, Boy, that, that's another one, too. That, that really uh, absolutely um, floored me, the way that they were taking all those various areas, important areas, and it was seamless. And I've never experienced a book anywhere near that before. And that mm-hmm. was another eye-opener for me. Yeah. I mean, you go. You have, at one point you're reading about the cosmos, and then you're reading uh, very uh, words about uh, Jesus' life and very specific uh-huh. and detailed parts of that. And then you're going to uh, parts of physics. It was such a combination. And then history of the world, and mm-hmm. all this was in one single book, and it was seamless. And that just absolutely floored me. Yeah. Well, and uh, and uh, I mean, there, there are some, um, uh, you know, various concepts that that uh, that I certainly encountered for the first time, and uh, uh, for example, the notion that uh, there is an evolutionary aspect uh, of God, uh, mm-hmm. so that that uh, you know you've got you've got God on the existential level. Um, uh, on on the absolute level, and you've got you've got a uh, a face that God shows to time and space, basically, and and uh, the God, the aspect of God that relates directly to time and space, and mm-hmm. that's and that's a God which evolves. As as we do, and we have a contribution to make to that, to the evolution of that God. The notion that I, as an individual, and that applies to every individual on the face of the earth, can actually make a contribution to the evolution of experiential deity, and eventually that deity becomes, achieves completion in time and space, and that 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 and ushers in the era of light and life, you know. But that's that can be millions of years from now. But but the, but the notion that that I as an individual can actually contribute something 
to that uh, is just incredible. Yeah. yeah. That, I, I, that, I, that, and the notion yeah. that I also have a fragment of the original first source and center, God, part of that existential deity in me and in you, Nick, and everybody else, all human beings, mm-hmm. uh, is just uh, an incredible notion. And uh, once you... Once you buy it, once you believe it, once you once it becomes part of your faith, it's so powerful. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, it's just uh, well, that's a uh, that's revelation for you. That's uh, that's, <laughs> that's quite powerful. Yeah. It um it was resonating all the time, resonating on things that I I was thinking about, things that I thought might be possible, and boom, there was passages in the book that confirmed all that um i've never i never even when i was growing up and uh i grew up a roman catholic and went to uh you know the study groups and all that uh when you're uh, from the time you're a small child and um mm-hmm. uh the, the words of jesus uh through the bible always stirred me uh in in, in the most wonderful ways and inspired me very much but when there was preaching on the pulpit about a God that was to be feared, um, that really didn't make sense to me at all. It never did, even as a kid. And so when the Rancher book is saying that this is, this is a loving, this is a limitless love uh, uh, that, that you're getting and that everyone's getting, and it's not just limited to Earth, this planet either, that that was just huge to me, and it made a great deal of sense. And I knew right then that I was reading the right book uh, at the right time in my life. Hmm. Yeah. And it was over. It was overwhelming. What you're saying is true. There were times when you're reading the book, and you can actually, and I have been sometimes crying because truth is so overwhelming and so beautiful that it gets right to your very soul. And there's many times, and I would say most people that are your ranch book readers have those, that experience quite a lot, that some of the passages are so beautiful, beautifully written, and they're so deep and meaningful that it, it, just, it, it just touches you so deeply. And mm-hmm. uh, I, would, I would say that uh, that's one of the things about the Rancher book that has attracted me all these years is, is the fact that it goes so deep. And so beautifully. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think that you know, even though the the, the book essentially, I mean, I- initially the, the book appealed to my mind, basically to 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 the intellect, you know, um, mm-hmm. and 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 and, but but you know, you keep reading it, and and it it goes beyond the intellect, you know, uh, it it even though everything makes sense, there's coherence about it, it's logical. And, uh, and and it's it's deep intellectually, but at the same time, it it, it moves you spiritually. I think it, it's uh, you know reading it sometimes um, actually um, creates a, a a spiritual experience in you. Oh, absolutely uh, true. Absolutely right, and and it happens often. And um, even when you're reading it with groups, like a study group, and there were times in the study group that a passage is read, and then there's a silence because everybody 
is so touched by it that there's a moment of silence where we have to digest what we just read. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful thing that happens, and it happens in study groups, I think, a lot. Um, yeah. Also, the thing I wanted to touch with you is the um, – I was knocked out with the – how shall I say it? The order, the incredible, meticulous order that is spoken about in the Arantia book of how things are set up and, and, and the various beings and their, and their positions and what, what they're assigned to do. Could, could you mm. speak a little bit on that? Because I think the listeners would be very interested in that. Uh, well, I mean, the, the, I mean, if you, you you talk about the cosmology and and the the, the you know the, the way the the cosmos is arranged and uh, the various personalities that are involved. I yeah, mean, the, if you the, could, I know that's a big subject, but if you could just touch upon that, give a little taste of that. Yes. Well, I mean, uh, you, you know, the the, the 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 book the book describes the cosmos uh, is an, an enormous. Um, um, uh, they say they they use the term well nigh infinite, although it's not. There is a there's a finite uh, sense of it in in, uh, in in terms of the 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 material cosmos. Uh, you talk about uh, uh, seven super universes that are that are um, in orbit around around the central universe, mm-hmm. and and in the center of the central universe. There is the Isle of Paradise, and the Isle of Paradise itself is bigger than the rest of the grand universe that revolves around it. You know, it's, it's a, you know, it's a, so the, 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 you know, I mean, well, what we know about um, the, the, the cosmos is, you know, we, we constantly, the, the, the astronomers uh, uh, continue to, to enlarge our sense of the cosmos based on their observations. And mm-hmm. uh, what the astronomers describe today is a, is a larger universe than, than we knew about, uh, let's say, 20 years ago. Oh, absolutely. Certainly 100 true. years ago. But, yep. oh, boy, in yeah. fact, the way the Urantia book describes it, it's, it's actually much, much bigger than that. And, you know, and, it's, and, and the... the, the um, the personalities that inhabit this cosmos um, uh, constitute a a, uh, <laughs> a huge bureaucracy, if you will. You know, it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's, a uh, it's an enormous thing to administer. So you've got uh, you've got the master what what, what they call the the, the uh, master spirits who are in charge of each um, uh, super universe, and you've got uh, creator sons who are who create each of our local universes, and Jesus was a human incarnation of our local universe creator son, whose name is Michael, and he's got a host of angels and seraphim who are, um, you know, helping him manage his domain mm-hmm. um so uh and uh, and and uh, that michael uh a universe creator son who is not the infinite son i mean you've got your trinity according to the urantia book um you know theology if you will or the description of our of of uh, of our uh, 
um, universe and, and personalities. Um, uh, the, uh, the, you've got the Trinity, which is the Father, the Son, the the the, the Eternal Son, and the Infinite Spirit. Um, mm-hmm. The 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 Father and the Son uh, basically give birth, if you will, to these Creator universe uh, local universe Creator Sons. So they are not infinite in the sense that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are infinite. But they are our. But but for all intents and purposes, the universe creator son is our God, uh, uh, in 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 a, in a sense, uh, because mm-hmm. that's who created the local universe in which we um, have our our being. Um, and you've got I mentioned earlier the evolutionary. Uh, we can get it. I think it uh, uh, it would be a, a little bit. Uh, overkill for us to get into the entire uh, uh, picture here, but, but, uh, but the evolutionary aspect of God, uh, the supreme, it is called, um, is that, that aspect of God which evolves with the evolution of the entire uh, grand universe, and that supreme becomes complete when the when all seven super universes finally are settled in light and life, and what does that mean? It means they achieve perfection. Um, so we have our. The book also describes the supreme as as if it's uh, it's it's our, um, uh, our 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 mother in a sense, because mm-hmm. we have our we live our life in in the supreme. Uh, in time and space, uh, but our goal is to do the will the will of our Father in heaven, and we have a fragment of that Father. Each one of us has a fragment of that Father in us, and one of the most amazing concepts, also the revelations in this book, is that you know, God loves me as if I were His only son. But he loves each one of us in this entire grand universe just the same. All personalities in the grand universe are, you know, uh, there, there is no limit to God's love. And, uh, and all love, com- love comes from God. And when we love our fellow brothers and sisters, uh, it's God's love that flows through us to them and from them to us. So, by virtue of our recognition of our sonship, uh, we are all, all human beings, are, are brothers and sisters. Regardless of what our theology is, doesn't matter. Of course, of course. And what a beautiful concept. <clears throat> Can you imagine if, if the people of this planet all believed that? Can you imagine how different the planet would be? Yes. Of course. I mean, it, that's. I mean, once. I mean, once all human beings in this world uh, truly uh, have faith in this, in this, uh, in this love, um, and 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 they recognize their sonship with, with the one God. Um, 
and recognize their brotherhood with all other human beings, that's, that's when light and life becomes possible on this planet. So we're a long way from there, but uh, but I, I you know I, I think we are basically moving in the right direction. It's uh, it's, it's inevitable. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> we will. We will get there eventually, and I think that some people are there just about now. There there are people I meet that really have brought that home and that live their lives like that, and it's that simple and that beautiful. And you recognize those people fairly quickly, and mm-hmm. they're out there. And, yeah. and when you come across, I'm sure you've, in your life, you, you've certainly made many, many friends that are on that level. And it's just, it, it feels like brothers, brothers, or, or, and yeah. sisters. And, and mm-hmm. it's, it's undeniable. And when you start hitching on to that limitless love that the Arantia book is talking about, and you just put it in your life, and, and you extend that. It, it's, it's so beautiful and actually easy to, to feel that. And it, it's a whole new way of looking at each other and of mm-hmm. your brothers and sisters are not only uh, in this country, but all countries and all shades of, the, of, 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 of skin and, and all other religions. And, and you really... You really um, find that in your heart you can you can be peaceful and you can be loving all those people and it, it's an, it's a, a, a really wonderful almost overwhelming feeling and when and you i think everyone is capable of that and uh, yeah. it's like it's, it's up to when you start reading the rancher book i think that really brings that home um and another thing you mentioned too that i want to just go by is that uh when I started reading the Rancher book, it opened up so much uh, space of, of understanding of not one universe, but seven super universes. And where we are in one of those universes on a very edge, and it's called the Milky Way, and it goes into that. And you get a perspective of where you are and who you are. Did it that move you a great deal when you started going through that part of the book? Oh sure, yeah. I mean that's the, just the enormity of it. I mean you you stand in awe of that, you know. Uh, it's it's awesome. But but the, but the, but the, but the biggest thing, the, the, the you know, the, well, as I mentioned earlier, the, the 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 thing that makes even a bigger impression on me is the notion that with all the 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 the, the billions and trillions of personalities, some human and. Uh, Humans like us in various other planets, and and uh, and and also uh, superhuman beings, if you will, uh, uh, mm-hmm. celestial beings and uh, angels and all of that. Um, uh, they are all personalities, and the and the notion that the the first source and center, God, the Father, can have a deep relationship and love each one of those personalities as if each one of them were his only son and daughter. I mean, that notion is even more striking to me than, than, uh, than, than the vastness of the, of the cosmos itself. And that's something that, I mean, that's an overwhelming notion. Can you imagine having a deep relationship like that with, with all of these personalities throughout the... <laughs> 
the grand, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's 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 enormous. Um, it, it's very, and it really does move you when you really get into that in the book, and it goes into to real detail about that, and it really gives you such a sense of who you are, and and where you are in the universe, and who who you who you can become as you as you go through life and beyond. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a stunning concept, and I totally agree with you. I think that anybody who opens up this book and starts reading, they're going to come to, to those realizations too in their own way. Maybe I mean uh, I'm sure I'm sure many would. It doesn't always work though. I mean I've 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 come across some people who are, uh, who have given the book to who weren't moved by it at all. So so it's it's a okay. it's a curious thing. You know, you you never know who who is going to be drawn to it, uh, and and who not. But you know, but but I'll tell you, I you know, it's for me. Um, I I I cannot imagine a scenario where I would have been able to develop a personal relationship with God, were it not for this Urantia book revelation. I yep. I needed that. I mean, without that, because you know, I I told you before, I, I came from a a sort of an atheistic, agnostic, if you will, background, you know, um, and and um, uh, you know, the, uh, even even when I before I way before I found the book, when I when I when I had I toyed with the notion of the possibility of the existence of spirit of some kind, um, I didn't think of it in any kind of personal terms, but mm-hmm. the notion that God is actually a person. Um, and that uh, he's actually the source of all personality. Um, th- that was not something that, uh, that um, you know, I, I, I would not have been, I don't think I would have been able to come to it on my own. Um, I needed a, a revelation uh, like this. Um, I mean, absent, uh, I mean, some people have auto-revelation. Some people have, you know, they, they, uh, they, um, I don't know. They hear something. They see something. They, they, they have an idea. Some popping in their head, like that fellow, bro- Brother Lawrence, uh, from the 17th century. You know, he uh, was involved in the Thirty Year War, and, and he, he came across a, when he was 18, a, he, he saw a barren tree, and then he said, well, he, he knew that the barren tree is going to sprout, uh, you know. Um, thieves and fruit before long, and 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 he suddenly had this epiphany that this is this is all the hand of God, and and it's and and, and wow, you know, he, it was a eureka moment for him, and he went and he joined the monastery, and he cultivated the presence of God in his daily life for about 40 years, working as a cook and a dishwasher in a uh, in a in a um, monastery. Um, interesting. Very, so, very yeah. interesting. Yeah. So, so some people can have a revelation like that. Maybe. Um, well, I'm sure some, some, some can, and some people can come to, to that kind of realization on their own. Uh, but some people need uh, an epical revelation, and there have been a few. And the Orange Book sure. was the fifth. Yeah. Sure. That's 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 true. And um, well. It's um, it's it really. It, you can read a paragraph and then you have to stop for a minute because you have to digest it. It's very, a lot of it. Uh, certainly, as you're reading, it's very layered. 
and it's it's not a fast read. I, I would say for most people, you have to read a, maybe a paragraph or so, and then just stop and think for a second about what you just read. Uh, I think mm-hmm. for most people, yeah. because it's so layered and so well, and, uh, and also well written, uh, it's an incredible mm. document. Oh yeah, yeah. You have to be impressed if you're if you're a reader and you love books. You start reading this and you see how magnificent it's put together, and and beautifully. Uh, one one question leads to another, leads to another, in a very seamless way. Just that alone, the way it's constructed, it's mm. it's amazing to me how beautiful it's written. Yeah. Lots of times you have a question when you're reading it, and the next paragraph, have you ever had this happen, will answer what you're thinking? Oh, yes, yes. (laughs) Right? Wait a moment. Yeah, that happens a lot, yeah. It does happen a lot, and you're thinking, boy, this is amazingly put together on such a magnificent level of of instruction. And it, it gives you little by little, and then wham, You've got a major concept there, and it's 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 beautifully done. I, I just it's just mag, magnificent writing. Uh, just that alone is is something to to think about, you know. Uh, I also, if you will, I know when I was a kid, and my mom and dad said, "Well, you know, Nick, you have a guiding uh, a, 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 an angel, like a guiding angel, and uh, and that angel will help you." And that was a wonderful, reassuring concept then. Again, they're they're from a, a Catholic background, and then when I open up the Ranja book, and they're talking about angels in the the different uh, denominations and the uh, the way that whole thing flows, and it gives you so much detail. Uh, I was floored by that. Mm, yeah. yeah you know, and and angels are assigned to certain uh, uh, tasks, and it goes into that, and I thought that was amazing too. That's another one that just just uh, surprised me in a wonderful way, and it tells you yeah. about how how things are guided. Uh, and but you you end up with your you have to decide. You have the the freedom to make decisions, and, oh, yes. and that's a very big deal in the Rancher book. And I also I love that part. Uh, yeah, you you have you have um, you have a free will. You have um, um, you you uh, well, that's an aspect of personality. Um, yep. and and uh you can choose to to uh you can choose to believe in god or not mm-hmm. you can uh you can choose to do the will of god or not and the will of god is not anything that uh, there's there are no prescriptions in this book uh you you've got to you've got to make your you, your own decision as to what what you believe the will of god is for you and it could be different things for different people, even even people experiencing a similar situation. How they react to it is highly individualized, and two individuals can sincerely um, one choose to do the will of, the, of God and still act in different ways uh, in, a, in 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 a, in a very similar situation. So you know, it's for each one of us to decide what we think the will of God is. But one thing we can be we can rest assured, the will of God um, 
can can generally not be lower than our highest ideals. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, you know the the um, you know our, 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 our you know we 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 have to think about these things. It's not it's not um, it, it's it's not always. Yeah, you can have a gut reaction to something and have a feeling about what what to do, what uh, in, in in if you have some some moral or ethical dilemma, but um, and and when you are stumped, after you turn the thing over in your mind, and um, and think about it deeply, uh, finally you say, well, Father, what do you think I should do? And uh, if you sincerely seek. Um, you may not hear a voice, but uh, but that may help you make a, a a decision. That happens a lot. I think that I uh, I'm not alone on that one. That you you, you it's a, it's like a uh, it's a conversation that you you, you it, it says you you can you can speak you can ask questions you can you you can communicate you can ask what should I do uh, what's the right way. And, and mm-hmm. uh, pray on that, think about that, meditate on that, and um, it's 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 always has an answer that comes to you of what the right way would be, um, what the Arantia book is advising or suggesting here, and it, mm-hmm. it always resonates. It's 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 such a wonderful way to have a a sense of what's right, and this this book, if anything, gives you that sense on such a level that it makes it sometimes so much easier to see the big picture and to do the right thing. Yeah. And, and that's a gift. I mean, that is, that's one heck of a gift that that's there and it's there for the, the taking when you read the book, the, the, the fourth part of the book, the books in four parts, the fourth part of the book, of course, is uh, for, for me, one of my, certainly the favorite, which is the, the, the life and teachings of Jesus, and mm-hmm. uh, you feel as though you are there, that you are right in the room, that you are seeing the personalities, that you are feeling the emotions, that you're seeing that they have problems they're trying to solve too, just like we are, and mm-hmm. that and that they they're asking for help and and guidance, and uh, and it's just absolutely a stunning. Uh, the fourth part of that book is amazing, and uh, for yeah. the, the Christians in the audience here, I would say that please take a look at the fourth part of the book. You will you will not put it down. It's so beautiful and so rich in detail. I was I was totally taken by the fourth part. That's very true, and and uh, you know one of the there is a a, a, a passage in the book that says uh, uh, that. Um, of all human knowledge, uh, what's most important is to to learn about the, the, the religious life of Jesus of Nazareth and how he lived it. Uh, they emphasize his religious life. And mm-hmm. um, so it's not, it's not it's not where he went and what he did and even what he taught it's his inner life and and um 
And you get, a, you get a sense from this book about his inner life. You get a sense about his faith, about his relationship with, with God, about his, his, uh, his um, uh, unlimited trust in God, mm-hmm. um, which is, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a supreme example uh, of, of, of faith. Um, um, you know, and and uh, so it's not it's not a question of w- w- what each one of us you know we, we, we not uh, not not a question of our imitating him or or uh, um, you know emulating him in 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 terms of what he did, uh, but 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 if if any anyone who can develop that kind of faith. Is uh, uh, I mean this is this is accessible to us. That kind of faith is accessible to each one of us, and uh, and and his life is is the proof of that. Uh, and and um, the fact that of his divinity uh, doesn't really take anything away from that, because he made the choice to live his life fully as a as a human. Of the realm, and to mm-hmm. to the end, to the very end, even though he knew that was going to get him nailed to a cross, um, he still chose to live his life fully as a human being and not to exercise his divine powers, which is striking and, and so powerfully done uh, in the book. Um, it, it really, it, it also it shows that he's a stand-up kind of guy. <laughs> that he he has values and that he will fight for those values and right. and he chose his love his limitless love for everyone everyone from a small child right through everyone else and and he has time for everyone that comes in his path and and he 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 talks and he advises and he he gives wonderful loving uh, all the time, wonderful, loving advice and uh, knowledge that these people can surmount their problems and continue. And, and uh, that, that is through the book. And I'll tell you, there's been many times in my life that if it wasn't for some of those passages that I can remember and then put together of how I'm going to go to the next uh, level, how I'm going to get through, say, a very bad time, that has been such a help, that alone, the examples that are in the fourth section that Jesus had. And he had many problems to face and challenges, and it talks about how he did that. It's riveting. Yeah, yeah. It's a heck of a it's story. Riveting. Yeah, it's inspiring. It really is inspiring. And um, yeah. uh, again, I know I've read that. I'm sure you have, Avi, read that many, many times. Uh, uh, the whole book and especially the, the, the fourth part, and yeah. it's it's like a new read every time, right? It's just it it's so rare yeah, you, that you, yeah, you you always find uh, new insights as you keep reading it. Uh, uh, as you mentioned earlier, I've been reading it for over forty years, and uh, it doesn't get old, you know. No, it's uh, <laughs> we may I, we I, may I be old. I get old. <laughs> We may be getting a little uh, long in the tooth, yeah. <laughs> but 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 you never get you never never uh, 
uh, cease to be amazed and inspired by what you're reading. And, and yeah. it's just alive. It, it, it's, it breathes life and love through this whole book. That's mm-hmm. not an easy feat to do, and yet this book is rich in that. Yeah. You know, and I know there's a lot of people who've been atheists in the past. And, you know, to be an atheist, as, as you know, and I know, you know, that's a choice, too. And, and, and that's a kind of a stand-up uh, position. And when uh, I know that a number of people who have been atheists in the past have said, yes, I am an atheist, and they crack this book and start reading it, and things have changed for them. And they cannot you know, then know, yeah. say that they're an atheist anymore. Yeah, you know, it's, I'm, I'm sometimes skeptical of, of people who say they're atheists, because, uh, I mean, even if I look back at myself, when I, 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 it's not like I was a devout atheist, you know. Uh, right. You know, it's, uh, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's not like, I, I didn't even want to think about, about, about God. I mean, um, if you ask me when I was a teenager, you know, do you believe in us? I say, well, it's, it's just uh, nonsense. Uh, you know, uh, who believes in that stuff? Um, but, but, but it's not like I, I, I didn't want to think about it, really. Um, mm-hmm. if, you start, if you start thinking about it, so once I started thinking about it a little more, I think I, I could say I became an agnostic because I said, well, you know, you can't prove that there is a God and you cannot prove that there isn't a God. So, you know, so you, so, yeah, so, so it's just as stupid to say there is no God as it is to say there is a God, you know, if you say mm-hmm. it's stupid, you know, but, um, but then, you know, it's, uh, uh, you have to, you have to, I mean, it's, it's a good, it's a good exercise to think about it, you know, uh, yeah. start. Yeah. Gentlemen, yeah. This was an awesome segment, but our time together is uh, ending for today. I would like ah. it to continue. So, Avi, you're welcome uh, back. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Up, is there any uh, contact information you care to share? Um, sure. Well, like what? Uh, my my email address or? Uh, that, that would be that wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Yeah, Avi, A-V-I, Dagim, D-O-G-I-M, at gmail.com. Thank you. Both of you did such an awesome job of uh, um, opening up the Urantia book and through sharing your experiences and your thoughts and your observations uh, made uh, everything so much uh, clearer. Uh, So I thank both of you. I learned a lot from your discussion. Oh, thank you for saying that, Hercules. Uh, and uh, really, I know that you have uh, been reading the book too since we've been doing this program. And uh, that's that's just I I love the fact that you're open to trying uh, the Urantia book and seeing what's there. So I really appreciate that. And I'm looking forward to uh, your next show, as always. And uh, uh, to both of you, have an, an awesome day, and thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much, much Hercules. To everyone. Much love to everyone there. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to take a brief break by listening to Odyssey by Becca Kelso, and then we will be back uh, with our next guest.
Welcome back to Pride of Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus, and I'm very honored uh, to announce our next guest, Michael Dolrusi. Uh, and our topic will be the healing ministry. Greetings and welcome, Michael. Thank you for being on the show. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. 
Now, one of the things that impressed me about our last conversation, and there were many things that impressed me about our last conversation, uh, was how you defined uh, your healing mission as part of your ministry. So I Mm -hmm. thought that today we would explore that concept uh, a bit more. Well, yes, I think there's a there is a direct correlation between seeking holistic mind and life extension. Uh, I believe that seeking holistic mind and applies to all aspects of life as well. I really believe that at the end of the day, that's our true journey, that's our true calling uh, to get the duality of the mind, the left brain logical mind and right brain creative spiritual mind to work together. And I think new insights and better decision-making come as a result of that. And when you apply it to in terms of diet and longevity, this can, all, this can be a lifelong truth. So I think our goal then is to use logical mind in assessing the latest anti-aging and disease-fighting studies and then initiate our creative mind in formulating our own personal health program. Uh, both with uh, natural supplementation, conventional medical support, the spiritual aspect, which, of course, uh, I personally believe is very much a part of our lives. So I think our instincts play the ultimate role in healing. And uh, that's basically what I try to share, and I think it's an important path to just achieving more in in our lives in general. Uh, with a specific a specific emphasis on life extension concepts, uh, perhaps these concepts that we have not been introduced to, we know nothing of. So that's been my calling, basically, is to explore some of these concepts and share them with people. And then it's up to their spirit to take them where where it is they're going in terms of, do I explore this concept further? Is it something that can assist me uh, in my health challenges? So I think, again, it's as we were talking last time we spoke, I think it's seeking the wisdom of the hemispheres, trying to get both hemispheres of mind to work together to help us make better decisions in our lives. We are so much on the same page uh, with that. And uh, mm-hmm. I find that uh, um, as I move through life, uh, sometimes I go back to like square one and each uh, cycle, you know, I'll move through it a bit faster, but I, I found a, a handful of uh, books and other uh, instructional materials that I found very uh, helpful in connecting the uh, two or three minds uh, together. And mm-hmm. uh, recently I started on the silver course again. So just like Charles Atlas is my default uh, uh, put myself straight uh, on the physical fitness path. The mm-hmm. uh, Silver Course and a book uh, written by uh, Benson, uh, who uh, um, wrote uh, the Relaxation Response. Right. Uh, he'd written a book called. Uh, now I'm drawing a blank, uh, but it's uh, beyond the Relaxation Response, and uh, mm-hmm. he talked about uh, mixing uh, prayer. Uh, with your mm-hmm. meditation, and I found that phenomenally effective. So those are my default uh, mechanisms for setting myself straight on uh, a spirit, and I do that at least once a year. Well, uh, you know, that's exciting because many times we've discovered concepts, maybe 10 years ago, that captured our, our fancy, captured our imagination, but for one reason or another, we then moved on and kind of abandoned them. Then we look back, 
and we say, hey, you know, that information is very valuable. And I think I'm going to take a second look because it makes sense here in this life and uh, in the physical form here and now. So, yeah, I mean, I think we've all done that. And uh, uh, it, it can have great benefit to, to turn back to the, you know, the knowledge that we were once, once exposed to and you, utilize it in our lives. One of the techniques I found that, that's been very helpful, uh, too, is um, visualizing the different parts of your mind as different uh, individuals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and these are something your mind uh, creates, but uh, it uh, facilitates communication. Uh, and it's very similar to creating any other type of fictive character. If you've done your job, uh, they take on a life of their own. And uh, I find that very helpful. And uh, I find that you outgrow these masks eventually, and you need to change them uh, every now and then. Uh, But Mm -hmm. that's been a very effective way that I found uh, communicating with all parts of your mind. Well, that's yet another vehicle. And that's an interesting vehicle, by the way. Another vehicle to to uh, help uh, release our true selves and release our true consciousness and there's a freedom in that. You know, it's funny. We were talking about the bicameral mind in our last yes. session. And I think it's so true. Back in the days of the myths, uh, the bicameral mind was very, uh, the right, right brain specifically, was very, very much alive with the Greek myths, as you know. And yes. uh, the gods interacted with us. The gods even became jealousy, jealous and angry, and were subject to the same emotions mm-hmm. that we that we express. But it was all part of that same vehicle, you know, in us becoming, becoming whoever it is we're going to become, you know. So, uh, and then with the advent, of course, of uh, the industrial revolution, that part of our brain uh, was neglected and became neglected, and uh, we neglected it on some level. Because we were so we were so subject to well you know instant gratification we have to get it done now uh, and move forward as quickly as possible and that's why even in school pro- school programs you'll notice that when they cut the budget first thing they cut is it, the arts and physical fitness and I, it's still going on today. Yes, it, it is still going on today, and uh, I've been trying uh, my best uh, to. Uh, um, ad- address that in my local community, um, mm-hmm. and uh, th- that remains something of great importance. I've gotten involved with uh, enrichment programs uh, mm-hmm. that are mostly after school or weekend uh, right. that help uh, kids use their creativity as well as their uh, um, mm-hmm. logical uh, mind and integrate them mm-hmm. together. Some of it using the mythology, by the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, look. Uh, all of us growing up as children, all of us, and I think this even applies to, to, to today's youth, when they're exposed to, specifically to Greek myths and the gods and, the, and all everything that came along with it, there's a fascination that ironically stays with many of us right into the adult years. And it's a magnificent vehicle for opening up our right brain and discovering who we really are. And I, I think most most children are fascinated by those. The texture of those myths is so much yes. there. 
Well, they speak of them uh, too. Uh, like I use uh, interactive storytelling, uh, which uh, uh, is like a very simplified version of uh, role-playing games. Right. Uh, that kids pay, and uh, um, I, I, you know, I, I modified them a little bit depending on uh, what the age of my audience is, right, uh, or the participants. Uh, but uh, uh, we go on uh, the expedition of the Argonauts. You know, we'll fight the Aramanthian boar. We'll do the labors of Hercules. We'll uh, go uh, explore the labyrinths of the Minotaur. And I found that years later when these kids, uh, like, visit and they're young adults, and sometimes they'll bring their girlfriends, their wives, their kids, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or their husbands and their kids, um, and they'll talk about these uh, um imaginal journeys that we took together uh, as if they were actual real events. And, and you can see that they're reliving them as they're, uh, as they're talking. So mythology comes alive and there's a part of us that thirsts for that. Yes. 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 There's a part of us, I believe that yearns for that. And the yes. Greek myth, the Greek myths specifically seem to just enliven young minds. I mean, I remember even growing up, my friends are all fascinated by the myths of the strength heroes and uh, uh, Zeus and his conflicts and uh, uh, his work he was doing in terms of creation and 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 interjecting himself, if you will, into the uh, uh, affairs of humans. It was all it's all fascinating and it's a wonderful vehicle, and I think it'll be with us for eternity, really. I, I think so as well. As long as there are people, uh, I think that. Uh, um, this will uh, continue to inspire and uh, guide us. Um, what do you think of uh, like the Jungian theories of the collective unconscious? Well, I think there's, I think merit to it. You know, young, you know, you know, they used to have a relationship with Freud, and they disagreed on many of these issues, and eventually they uh, parted ways. But I believe there's definitely merit to it. I think to I think and that comes back again to holding on to our right brain consciousness because in this society we'll steal that from and, and collective unconsciousness uh, will be you know submerged in well daily living if you will but I think there's definite definite merit to it and I think there's a connecting factor to it, it you know it connects all of us. I, I believe that uh, as well. I believe that that's uh, as real as anything we experience while we're quote unquote you know, awake in our beta brain uh, uh, consciousness, and that uh, its universality speaks to a connection that, uh, as uh, a people, we don't really think about that much. Right. Well, you know, and again, you use the right term. Again, uh, the right brain and left brain see the world in very different ways. And mm-hmm. it's getting, getting that vision to become one, I think we'll, it'll help us to simply make better decisions in our lives. I mean, the, the right brain sees the, sees the larger picture. The left brain tends to think within the box. Uh, you know, uh, the right brain is more emotional and symbolic. And we know that, in, well, that's where the mythologies came from. You know, right. almost everything was symbolism and the arts and 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 uh, these kinds of things. But then, with the advent of left brain, as left brain was practically forced into operation through 
uh, our need to survive. And so uh, language became alive, territorialism became important, goal orientation became important, but in, in, and those are not necessarily bad things, but in doing all of that, we abandon who we truly are. And to right. me, my interpretation, who we truly are, comes from right brain consciousness. I always put it this way, left brain is what we need to survive in the material world, but right brain is who we really are spiritually and consciously. I believe that uh, as well. And I've spent many years studying, uh, I guess you'd call them the archetypes in Jungian uh, terminology, uh, Mm -hmm. the basic human patterns uh, that uh, they're in us, they're outside of us. If you open your eyes, they're all there, especially now in our modern entertainment. Uh, You can find them everywhere, but you can also find them in the news. uh, Once you are able to recognize them and these stories uh, uh, play out on all levels of our being. And Mm -hmm. uh, you become aware once you can see this, uh, that these things will play out whether you're conscious of them or unconscious of them. But if you're unconscious, you become a victim. And if you're Mm -hmm. conscious of them, then you become uh, a co-creator. You become a willing participant in the uh, tale of life. Uh, that's unfolding uh, before us. Well, that's very yeah, true. That's you know, true. the old saying that anything we put, put a focus on on a continuous basis becomes reality. And I think what we need to do is, uh, you know, and uh, compassion and some of the work you're doing, of course, it speaks for itself. I mean, that's a ministry, and you're doing so much in terms of uh, influencing the youth uh, to open up their minds and the other work you do. That's classic of what we're talking about here, releasing the uh, emotional symbolism, the artistic value, uh, and the holistic view of right brain thinking, and and sharing it with the world, sharing it with whoever we can, and it expands their minds. Their minds are in such a state of expansion when they're exposed to this kind of teaching and sharing, if you will. And it's still, uh, with all we have available to us today, in our everyday lives, it's still we're still left wanting. We have to really yes. seek it. We have to seek it because the pain and the struggle of dealing with people in our workplace and conflicting relationships can can just dull that part of our minds. Who and that's who we are. That's who we what we need to hold on to. Very, very true. And uh, becoming aware of these things and, as you said, identifying yourself with uh, uh, the mind that's not being used in our survival here in the society, uh, right. you gain a type of immortality because you're mm-hmm. no longer just uh, basing your um, ex- experiences, making decisions on what you personally experienced or what your culture told you. You're tapping into the totality of a human experience. And, well, that's uh, exactly right. Yeah. And that's what, that's what took me when I was very young into the area of holistic medicine, which I initially knew nothing of. And through being exposed to some of the early teachers, uh, I knew it was my calling at 17. And I'm 67 now. I'm still in my in a grassroots way, uh, trying to uh, change lives for the better, making a better way of life. If they're dealing with a degenerative disease, 
or mm-hmm. some other health challenges, if I can introduce them to methodologies of healing that may move them forward in a more positive way, that's what I want to do. And I'll probably do that till I die. And uh, that's been my calling, you know, is to to uh, to make them realize there's a new paradigm in terms of healing. And that's the holistic view of the whole patient. Focus on diet, lifestyle, and preventive measures, the body and mind interconnected, and hopefully the physician is a partner in the healing process. That's the new paradigm. The old paradigm yeah. was more of a biomechanical view of the body. The body and mind were separate entities. Uh, treatment of symptoms only most of the time. Physicians were not emotionally attached, and the, the physician was the all-knowing authority. That was the old paradigm. So the new paradigm is what we need to uh, immerse ourselves in, especially in, in, in the area of healthcare. I agree 100%. In fact, earlier today I was at a meeting uh, where the the things that you're saying, uh, you know, had uh, come up out of various mouths. So I'm hearing it again, uh, and it's reinforcing. Uh, This is what I think uh, it means when the gods talk to us. They talk to us continuously, uh, but we don't know how to listen. And uh, I I pay attention when things are repeated uh, out of many – uh, mouths of people that I respect. You know, I pay very mm-hmm. close attention to what's being said because mm-hmm. uh, this is the universe uh, uh, communicating with me. Well, absolutely. Uh, and absolutely. as you said, and the, the God speaking to us, that was that was our vehicle. That was our subconscious vehicle, if you will, for moving forward in our lives and uh, in learning from the gods and thus hopefully becoming all that we can become. And that's why our right brain channels have been, frankly, have closed to a large extent uh, because of, well, again, the uh, territorial concepts of society around us. And we have to take it upon ourselves to not only reopen those channels, but pursue further levels of, of conscious awareness that that's who we really are. And I was listening to your guests previously uh, on the Arantia. I have the Arantia book here. <laughs> I haven't opened it up in many years. But, again, uh-huh. they also uh, they were right on the money as well. And so there has to be a spiritual connection here, even in terms of basic physical survival. There's a design here. And I think even your most staunch atheist, if he wanted to really be objective, would admit to that. Very, very true. Um, I have a difficult time. Uh, uh, as I get older, I have less time to read, uh, and mm-hmm. it's a shame because I love reading, but there's not yes. as much life yes. left before me, and uh, mm-hmm. reading is uh, a luxury many times. So uh, even though I champion literacy, <laughs> I, yeah. haven't really had yeah. to, I can't read as much as I'd like. But anyway, that's another uh, story. But um, one of the uh, aspects of my mission is uh, uh, the cosmic spiritualities. Uh, mm-hmm. They are uh, in a like Tower of Babel type of place where they're saying the same thing, but they're saying it slightly differently. And right. uh, most right. people who are not familiar with the overview of them uh, think they're talking about different things when actually they're talking about the same thing. So I've tried to uh, create forums where this information, as it's being shared, it will become clearer and clearer 
that even though these are culturally slightly different uh, because mm-hmm. they're addressing uh, people who might resonate to different things, the information's identical. It's been identical throughout human history. Well, you know, I like the way you put that because I often uh, study as different aspects of what's known as Christ consciousness. And yes. some people, you know, uh, when they hear that term, they immediately think, well, you have to be a Christian. You can only be a Christian to be exposed to the to the beauty of Christ consciousness. Christ consciousness, uh, Christ, as you know, simply means the anointed one, the one yes. source, the one divine consciousness. And I believe that Yes, there are many vehicles to that consciousness. So in my view, Christ consciousness uh, is for all people because at the end of the day, there's that one source. There are many vehicles. The gods speak to us. uh, Our subconscious mind speaks to us. But there's basically uh, one cosmic source. And so uh, Christ consciousness to me is for all people, not just Christians. I, I agree, and uh, it, it's getting past the Tower of Babel thinking, you know, the words uh, that separate us and the charged associations they might have uh, based on uh, different people's uh, uh, life experience, you know, realizing that, uh, you know, you're talking about the same thing, uh, gaining that, uh, the vision, that, that, that clarity eventually opens doors to new uh, uh aspects of consciousness that you might not have accessed if you kept your prejudices towards certain words. Absolutely. And you know, when you walk away from, when you teach a class, as an example, I think when children walk away or adults walk away from what you have been sharing in this area, there's a, a, a spirit of refreshing, much like mm-hmm. when you go into meditation. It may not last all day. It may last 10 minutes, but you'll refer back to it. Because a spirit of refreshing has been put upon you. And again, the channels to who you really are have been opened by someone. So, you know, that spirit, thanks to many of us who are out there trying to share these concepts, that spirit will never really die. It may be interfered with. It may be submerged by our daily challenges. But it will never die because, again, it's the road to who we really are. Now, our conversation for today is coming to an end, and I enjoy our conversations a great deal. Um, I would like to have you on regularly. I'll I'll be focusing uh, um, this week on possible dates, and I'll email you or PM you, and uh, we can take it from there. But uh, the information that uh, you have gleaned and the insights uh, uh, that have come through your working with this information uh, need to get out there. And your mission is very important, and I would like to – um, make a platform available uh, to you uh, so that you can share your collective wisdom. Well, that would be wonderful. I do have a creative health manual that I would like to share from uh, okay. concerning the latest concepts of health and healing. And perhaps when you have me on again, uh, we can do that. I look forward to that uh, greatly. Is there any contact information you'd like to share for anybody who might want to contact you? Yeah, they can uh, they can uh, uh, write to me at um, my post office box, uh, which I have. Uh, it's one two nine Caldwell, New Jersey, oh seven oh oh six. That's box one two nine Caldwell, New Jersey, oh seven oh oh six. I do holistic counseling free of charge. Uh, I charge nothing for that service. 
That is in- incredibly awesome. If you'd like to add that to uh, um, today's uh, one of today's listings on uh, my Facebook page, uh, please uh, feel free to do so. I will do that, and I thank you so much for inviting me back. I really enjoy our conversations. Same here, and I thank you for coming back. You're an awesome guest and an awesome friend. Thank you, sir. I feel the same way. You have a blessed evening. You too. Uh, We're going to listen to Bone Fox Orchestra's Evolve, and then we'll be back with our final segment.
happening in his neck of the woods or his region of space. Greetings and welcome, Brian. Thank you. Glad to be here. I hear from Tina that uh, you guys have met many uh, uh, people who are interested in joining our adventure, so I'm looking forward to learning more about that. Yeah, actually, um, we just did a convention, or it was a little mini convention, actually called Incredicon down here in Fort Myers a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And there's a group in um, in and around the area. They're South Florida. They're here. They're up towards Orlando called the Delta Fleet. And they're just kind of a loose association of, you know, Trekkies and fans of the show and stuff like that that do the costumes, do the role play, you know, all, basically all the same stuff that we do. Uh-huh. So, so we kind of talked to them a little bit about things, and Tina gave them some information. So as soon as we hear back from them, We'll put them your way. That will be incredibly awesome. Uh, and how are things going with the Odyssey? Uh, you had told me last time that uh, uh, you were uh, basically uh, reviving that endeavor and expanding upon it. Still in progress. Um, I've started reaching out to some of our former members that we had to see if they're still interested in coming back and whatnot. And most of them so far have been pretty receptive, so that's a plus. And, you know, owning the comic book store, I've been kind of putting feelers out to other Trek fans and what they'd be interested in joining. So it's looking pretty good so far. That That is awesome. And having a comic book store has got to be one of the coolest things uh, on the planet. Uh, we had a place uh, in Pennsylvania called the Barbarian Bazaar. And uh, we didn't carry new comics. We carried lots of old comics and games and uh uh, both uh, role-playing games and uh, board games and uh, video games and computer games and, uh, you know, all sorts of things. And we love that. Out of all the things we've ever um, uh, attempted, that was one of our favorites. Yeah, well, my store is called Comics, Cards, and Stuff. It's actually here in Fort Myers, Florida. And I'm kind of an old-school, traditional comic book store. I don't do anything with the gaming, but I do a lot with new comics, back issues, sci-fi memorabilia, you know, collectible toys, that sort of thing. That's very exciting. And uh, lots of the, our society has embraced uh, 
uh, comic books to an extent greater than I thought that they would ever embrace uh, the comics. Yeah, it's kind of cool to be, a friend of mine actually said it's cool to be a nerd now. So, you know, a lot of people are getting into, like, the Marvel movies and the superhero movies and things like that, and they're actually doing them now that the technology has caught up correctly, where they don't look cheesy, they don't look silly, they look actual, like, serious movies, and the box office shows that. Oh, it it certainly does. Uh, I'm amazed at uh, uh, the effect that Avengers Endgame has had, and... uh, um, even the television shows, uh, although many of them were uh, discontinued with uh, um, the things going on between Disney and uh, Netflix, uh, I enjoyed watching those shows, and they, they did contribute uh, uh, to the depth of the Marvel universes that unfolded on the screen. Absolutely. Well, the rumors now are going around that uh, instead of just canceling them outright, like the initial press releases said, Disney is actually going to incorporate them into their new streaming service thing and call them something different, but it's all going to be the same cast, same, you know, production company, same everything. It's just going to be called something different. Awesome. I heard about that, and I heard that Netflix is suing them for for that, too. I had heard that, too, but I don't know how true that one is. That was just kind of a rumor, too. Have you gotten into the uh, the the Arrowverse? I guess if I, they might still be calling it that. I'm like a season behind uh, at this point. There was so much content coming out that I couldn't keep uh, up with it. Uh, but I enjoyed uh, that for quite a while. I've heard it's really good. I haven't had a chance to really watch it. It's all I can kind of do to keep up with Discovery these days. So you know, I haven't been keeping up with it since like season one. Now, talking about Discovery, um, I did not catch any of Discovery. I saw some of the shorts that they had done between seasons. Um, Bob Bossler, uh, who is uh, um, the Admiral of Starfleet Region 7 uh, up here uh, in our neck of the woods, um, he's been keeping me up to date on uh, Discovery. It sounds fascinating, and what I've seen from the second season excites me even more than what I knew about the first season. Uh, what are your impressions of Discovery? Um, well, honestly, I've been watching Discovery since the beginning. Okay. And while, while I hate to criticize the Trek show, I had to gut my way through the first two episodes, the pilot. That was the two-part pilot. Okay. But once you get to episode three of season one, it gets really good really fast. And I enjoyed all of season one, got right to the end. They left me on a cliffhanger for a year, came back for season two, and it just never stopped. It was great. Season two was absolutely awesome. Yeah, season two looks awesome. And the, the fact that they uh, introduced Pike and Spock and, you know, uh, that that's awesome. Yeah, well, I was kind of looking forward to seeing the Enterprise, and they put that off till you know, the interiors anyway. They put that off to like the second to the last episode to the end. And <laughs> all I have all I have to say to this is she is absolutely gorgeous and if I'm gonna play in that kind of universe, I want one. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that it, sounds it's gorgeous. Catch up. Yeah, it was absolutely gorgeous and very well done. They kept the continuity very well. Now, we've spoken in the past about uh, doing things uh, um, that are uh, of social benefit, um, and uh, several possibilities have uh, come up. 
So I wanted to bounce of those off of you, and uh, you'll tell Tina later on. Uh, but one of the things that uh, we started getting involved in here is uh, um, animal-related uh, uh, activities. So I wrote an article about how to coexist with bears, and that will be published in either this issue or the next issue of the Borough uh, Newsletter. Uh, we started a show that focuses on those type of uh, um, you know, problems. We've started getting involved with uh, local activists, uh, and now we're incorporating the animal shelters as well. So that's awesome. one area. And then the second area is sustainability uh, with uh, doing like a, a, a apartment or window uh, gardens, uh, basement gardens, uh, gardens in whatever uh, um, yard space you have. And uh, my wife and I recently put up a, uh, a greenhouse. So oh, very uh, cool. we've done that and we've gotten involved in our local library that's going to set up a community garden. And then here in uh, Tenafly in our town, they're going to be expanding the community garden. So I, I volunteered to uh, get more involved with that uh, uh, as well. So, uh, um, those are the two big initiatives. And I know Tina has a soft spot for animals and she's talked about that in the past. So I figure those two things might be of interest to you. Uh, do either of those initiatives uh, resonate? Both of them sound pretty good. Okay, great. So um, I'll leave it up to you guys, which one or both, uh, if they resonate, uh, I'll get you involved uh, as well. We have uh, uh, one of our, uh, uh, shipmates in uh, New York and another one in Utah have gotten involved already. Uh, so now we'll spread it down to Florida. Sounds good. When you did Starfleet type of things before, what type of uh, um, community support did you provide? Um, well, when we did our uh, conventions here, God, 20 years ago, um, Okay we had actually done fundraisers right around that time. And we did a charity auction at the show, um, for a local children's home. Oh, and you know, so they were all the time needing, you know, they had done a lot of fostering and stuff. So they were all the time needing like clothes and furniture and, you know, that kind of thing for the kids. So that was basically what our stuff was going for. And then they had branched out, um, as we had done our second one into, um, doing more for like expectant mothers with, you know, the baby's coming, they're going to need diapers, they're going to need formula, you know, that kind of thing. So we were pitching in and helping with that too. So that was our big thing down here for a while. That is awesome. Maybe we could start that up again uh, as well. And uh, that's certainly a worthwhile um, effort to contribute time, energy, and money to. Yeah, they seemed to enjoy every little bit we could do for them. And even when we'd go visit them, we would go do it in uniform. So, you know, the kids seeing Star Trek people walk in, they just absolutely went nuts over it. They had a blast. So that kind of made it all worth it right there. Oh, that certainly would. And and anytime people in costume come and uh, um, show up, that's that's exciting. It's it's something different and new and uh, worth uh, remembering and sharing. Yeah, it's, it's all kinds of fun. So we had a blast doing it, and I'm sure it helped them out tremendously. 
getting back to Discovery, how are the Discovery comics? I seem to remember last time I went to, to a comic book store, uh, I saw that uh, um, they, they had added Discovery comics and they had uh, Star Trek uh, Year 5, and uh, there, there were a bunch of new titles. Uh, I didn't have time to, to explore them, uh, so I guess I'll ask you, and uh, next time I'm there, I'll explore them. Yeah, they've been pretty good. Um, Discovery's done a couple of one-shots, you know, focusing on specific characters. Um, they've done a couple of mini-series. There was one called The Light of Kalis that was kind of a prequel thing to uh, one of the characters in the pilot episode named Takuma. He was a like a, almost a Klingon messiah kind of thing that was a follower of Kalis. And okay. another one was and another one was called Succession that picked up and spoiler warning here that picked up after Discovery jumped back from the Mirror Universe at the end of season one and it picked up when it was still in the Mirror Universe. Did so that one was really or in the Mirror Universe or did they change that? I'm sorry. Did everyone still have goatees and in the Mirror Universe or did they did they change that? Uh, actually, no, they didn't. There was one guy that did, but uh-huh. you know, for the most part, it was just everybody kind of looked like their normal counterparts, you know, with the obligatory scars here and there. And one of the characters has like a bionic eye, but in the mirror universe, she didn't have that, you know. So it, there was a few differences here and there, but no goatees. Now, Star Trek had already had, you know, the mirror universe and. Uh, and alternate uh, realities. I remember there was an episode of uh, Next Generation where there were countless uh, enterprises, each one, you know, reacting slightly differently to the uh, the, the challenge uh, or the disaster confronting them. Um, why do you think a lot of people are making such a big deal over uh, these shows maybe not being in the original continuity? Well, Discovery people kind of got irritated with right off the bat when CBS said they were going to put it on all access instead of putting it on TV. So, you know, a lot of the the regular fans are like, we don't want to pay for Trek. You know, we'll buy the DVDs when they come out, but we don't want to pay for it to watch it first run. Um, Another thing, though, is when they went in and um, for legality's sake, because Paramount and CBS had split up, and, you know, there's a whole big legal battle with that going on. Right. But, um, when Discovery went in, they said, okay, we're going to be in the prime timeline, but we're doing what they call a visual reboot, which brings it up to, like, today's TV standards because, in their opinion, people wouldn't want to see, like, the the blinky lights and the cardboard sets and stuff like that. On today's TV, that would look just absolutely cheesy. Plus, it doesn't look as futuristic as some of the other things. So they would put in, you know, for Discovery, for instance, they put in, like, communications and, you know, touch screens and, you know, all kinds of stuff that looks to us now futuristic, where in the 60s they had absolutely no concept of this kind of thing. Right. So everything they were doing in the 60s is what we have real life now. So, you know, people kind of had mixed feelings on that because they were, you know, from a continuity standpoint going, well, if it's still supposed to be in the same universe, it should look that way. And CBS or the showrunners are going, well, it's still in the prime universe. It just looks this way because it looks better when you're watching it on TV. Right. So. But I can see that from both sides. Uh, um, you know, you, you want, uh, like, 
the, the continuity. And uh, Star Trek was one of the original uh, shared uh, universes, you know, like, like the MCU is now, in that all the shows were taking place in, in the same uh, continuity. So you could refer from one to the other and you can carry plots over and characters over and so forth. Uh, so uh, um, I could see it from that perspective. But yes, it would be very cheesy. Uh, in fact, the Orville kind of capitalized on that cheesiness uh, in their uh, uh, Star Trek parody, as it were. The Orville is great. I love that show. Yeah, me too. I saw the first season so far. Now the second season's out on DVD, so uh, I'll be getting that as well. And I'll be picking up uh, a Discovery because uh, what you and what Bob have said about it um, you know, now makes me curious to watch it. For a while, I was kind of leery because of what I was reading. Yeah, well, like I said, those first two episodes have the feel of a pilot that they weren't quite sure where they were going with it. But once you get to episode three, it gets really good really fast. That is fantastic. Well, Next Gen took a season or so to take off. You know, the first season was kind of uh, irregular in quality. That's very true. Of course, then again, too, Next Gen had the whole stigma of, as Gene Roddenberry put it, trying to recreate lightning in a bottle, too. You know, people were, the first, like, two seasons were like, oh, this new Star Trek show, it's not going to work, it's going to be cheesy, it's going to fail, blah, blah, blah. And then when it finally found its legs in season three, everybody suddenly reversed course and became, oh, well, we want to be on Star Trek now. You know, and before they wouldn't have anything to do with it. And it's a shame. Some shows, like, uh, I'm thinking of Caprica, um, by the time they'd reached uh, the end of their run, they'd found their voice. And mm-hmm. I think they made an awesome uh, television show, uh, and they, they just ended it <laughs> there. So Yeah, I, I agree. I was a big Battlestar Galactica fan, too, both versions of the show. And I enjoyed Caprica, and it was starting to get good, and they just killed it. They did the exact same thing with Stargate Universe. Yes, because yes, I was a big fan of the Stargate franchise. And season two of SGU was getting really, really good. And then all of a sudden, just, okay, we're going to leave it on the cliffhanger. Boom, done. And they didn't even continue that one in the novels. Like, uh, the other ones got continuations in the novels for a while that filled in a lot of the blanks uh, and continued the adventures. Uh, the Star Trek, Stargate universe uh, just had, I think, that one uh, novel air that was based on the pilot episode. And they never continued the story either. So they kind of left it. Uh, hanging there. Yeah, I've seen some fan fiction that actually attempted to finish out the show, so to speak. Some of it's good, some of it's not, but, you know, again, it's fan fiction, so it doesn't really go with anything. Now, they made a Stargate Origins. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I'm waiting for it to come out on DVD also, um, or Blu-ray. Planning on making any more uh, Stargate prequels or sequels or continuing adventures? As far as the TV franchise, I don't know. I've heard rumors kicking around for a few years that um, one of the original writers slash producers of the movie was talking about doing a reboot movie and turning it into a trilogy. So I, I don't know how true that is or if that's even still a go because it's been on and off so many different times. But I'm not even sure who owns the rights to the TV thing now that MGM has kind of gone belly up with it. Right. Yeah, I, I had heard that uh, also. And then the last thing I read the, that that wasn't greenlit because uh, uh, they didn't do a, uh, very well with an Independence Day movie or uh, 
some movie that uh, they created a second part to and it wasn't successful as they anticipated. So uh, all the backing for uh, uh, the Stargate reboot kind of evaporated as well. Yeah, I think that was Independence Day, that second one, because that was another one of those movies that never needed a sequel and they waited too long to do one if they were going to do it. And it just, it wasn't very good at all, I didn't think. But that's me. I, I didn't see it yet, so uh, um, I'll trust you on that. If it pops up in a $5 bin, I'll probably pick, pick it up just just to satisfy my curiosity. If you can catch it on Sci-Fi Channel or something, it's worth a watch, but it's it's not the greatest film. Let's put it that way. Are there still fandoms, like active fandoms, for Stargate and Babylon 5? Because I love those uh, uh, franchises as well. There are. When we go to cons, we see people wearing SG or Stargate uniforms all the time. We see a few Babylon 5 people, mostly the aliens and stuff versus the, the Earth Alliance people. But, you know, the aliens were always cooler anyway. But, yeah. um, you know, but we, we still see fandoms for things that go way back. I've even seen people wearing Space 1999 uniforms on occasion. Wow, so, that is cool. <laughs> yeah, there's, but, there's still a lot of stuff out there in the fandoms. Are there actual fandoms, though, or just people cosplaying? Because uh, uh, I remember back in the day when I used to attend conventions, some people were into the, the whole experience, and others just wanted to win a costume contest or enter a costume contest. And both are yes. equal, equally valid uh, portions of fandom, but they were quite different. Yeah, I know Babylon 5 still got some stuff kicking around, because I know that um, Claudia Christian and a couple of the other actors are you know very into that kind of thing. Um, as far as the Stargate thing, I don't know if there's anything organized other than a few little groups here and there. I don't know if there's the national or international or whatever it is thing anymore. Um, but, you know, there, there's a few groups that are still, like, major players, so to speak. Oh, that is awesome. That, that's worth uh, researching. So I will start researching. And if you come across any, let me know, because I'd love to invite them to play as well, because we have the uh, Greek mythology, and a lot of those shows uh, – uh, had components of Greek mythology in them. Okay, I will do that. So it's exciting, you know. Things are happening and things are moving uh, forward, and uh, it, it's really phenomenal. And uh, um, I'm looking forward to proceeding uh, with uh, you guys. Um, aside from the occasional show. Um, what do you think we should do next to support this uh, mutual adventure? As far as actual, like, charity-type work or just um, backstory for the, the role play sort of thing? Well, both. Um, I can make our meetings monthly rather than occasional on a rotation uh, because uh, at this point, lots of things are happening and there's a, a more interest and people are curious and they're asking questions. So uh, I feel that um, if I kind of break people up into little uh, teams that are doing something, um, then we can uh, have these meetings more often on the podcast uh, and then have infrequent like meetings where everybody's invited um, to discuss uh, you know, the entire experience and how we should guide it. But yeah, I think... Uh, causes might be the next thing that you know this is what we're doing we're going to be doing it uh, through cosplay through uh, fan fiction through uh, convention uh, appearances uh, and these are the things we're going to be doing in our uh, current uh, 
world as well. So, yeah, if we can, like, agree on what uh, um, charitable efforts we uh, can support, and they don't have to be the same one, you know, but just get a list of things that we're working on improving in this world. I think that would be a good next step. Okay, that sounds good. And also, if you're going to be in the Discover Reuniverse, I think that's really interesting, too. And, uh, you know, we could refocus that. You know, I don't know if we're necessarily going to be in the Discovery universe or not, you know, because Odyssey's whole thing has always been like a next-gen DS9 Voyager-ish timeline. But we've got, like, yeah, like my character has bounced around through time before. So it's possible. (laughs) Okay, awesome. Yeah, we'll be bouncing uh, uh, through time uh, a lot in our adventures, and that's something I'm greatly uh, looking forward to. When I first came back to Tenafly, because these ideas have been floating around for a while and we've attempted different things with them. Uh, one of the things I announced and started working on was like a, a time travel fair. It didn't come about, but I haven't abandoned it. Uh, and uh, we had contacted Starfleet and they sent people over to our event, Mythic Atlantis. Uh, and we were talking about having like a Babel meeting and then you know, doing all sorts of time travel stuff. So uh, eventually it will happen when the time is right. And I'm glad that more people are on board now. Uh, and uh, things will happen, uh, I believe, uh, uh, quicker and with a much greater amount of creativity than we mustered in the beginning. Sounds good. Sounds good. Is there any contact information you'd like to share so that uh, folks who may be listening who are interested uh, can contact you and get involved with uh, uh, the USS Odyssey and all the things you're doing in Florida? Well, like I said, we've got an Odyssey Facebook page. It hasn't been updated lately. I haven't quite gotten that far yet, but it's still there. So um, either that or they can look on um, my store page, which is facebook.com slash Fort Myers Comics, all spelled out. Um, And I'll put a link on there to the Odyssey page so people can jump to that. Um, Like I said, the Delta Fleet. The Delta Fleet people are going to start getting involved, too, as far as I know. So um, I don't have their contact information right on me at this particular moment. But I'm sure if you just did a search for Delta Fleet, you can find them. And uh, please feel free uh, under the uh, blurbs for today's show uh, to add links to your comic book store and to the Odyssey. Okay. I can do that. Okay, I want to thank you very much. Uh, you've been an awesome guest, and I'm looking forward to our next uh, conversation. Keep up the awesome work, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Okay, be well. You too. Okay, thanks uh, to everyone at home for joining us uh, on our conversations and on our adventures for today. Uh, until next time, this is uh, Brian and Hercules wishing you joyous journeys and happy adventures. Olympian blessings to all who have joined us on our adventure. Now, go forth and create a better world, one filled with light and love. On behalf of the pride of Olympus and her crew, may your journeys be
says no, I will not remain a thief. I have seen it with my eyes. Seen that all religion lives by a steady trade in lies. They try to hold us back with rains of holy smoke. But I am. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.